Awesome. Okay, so uh, yeah, I'm a, a father of, of four. Um, there is, other than that, I'm pretty darn ordinary. Um, no, seriously, very, very ordinary. Uh, we, just, we just started going on a small group when I was at university, and God turned up. It was cr crazy. But there came a point of revelation where we were reading the scriptures, and when Jesus goes, you know, the greatest, most important command is that you love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There was like this moment of revelation where this is the greatest, most important thing. Like literally, this is the greatest, most important thing in life, in the world. And so like seven of us were like, let's do it. Let's put the first thing into first place and be like, man, imagine what you could do with seven people who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we literally went, and that, as soon as we had made mutually this commitment to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, he turned up, and it was insane. Like, it was so amazing. And, um, and it just led to this journey. So now, 20 years down the track, yeah, right at the beginning, God was like, never ask anyone for money for yourself. I can ask on behalf of other people, and I do. Um, you know, if you guys have got spare money, I, I can point you in the right direction. Um, Greg. And um, so, yeah, big part of the ministry we do is, is we work in Pakistan to get families out of slavery, Christian families who are enslaved in Pakistan, in the kiln there. Um, Jesus, one day I came home and I was just like wanting to worship the Lord. And, um, you know, the f this was a rarity. I came home, everyone was asleep. And the house was quiet. I don't, you know, some parents would be like, oh, I remember that. And, um, and I was like, ah, oh, Jesus, I just want to be like Mary and just worship you and just wash your feet for a little bit. And kid you not, he was just like, if you want to wash my feet, then for you, the people of Pakistan are my feet. And I was like, are you sure you don't want a song? <laughs> and I was like, I'll sing a hymn if you want. You know, and, um, and he was like, no, he gets like, this is for you, this is your sacrificial worship. And so long, that's a whole other story, but we ended up um, pouring most of our resources into getting families out of slavery and bringing them into life. And so I'll just share one cool testimony on that front um, because it shows you the power of the greatest command. All right, so I'm coming back. We've just taken a team to Pakistan 2019. Um, that was amazing. And then we're on our way back through Thailand. And, um, oh, yeah. So in that box, there's, like a bo there's um, some booklets of the work we do in Pakistan. If, if this energizes you in some way, if the Holy Spirit's touching you, grab a booklet and explains things in a bit more detail. Anyway, this woman was there, and she was, like, radiant. You know how some people are just alive with joy and love. And um, she was part of the refugee community in Thailand, and she, she invited us around for dinner. And so I went to her place, and we just sat down, you know, and I was like, tell me, why are you a refugee? Because they all have stories, right? One guy was walking out of his prayer meeting, and his dad just got shot through the head in front of him. Boom. Dropped. Another guy got shot twice in the street and was left bleeding out for three hours before anyone helped him. It's like, a, it's like literally a wild west over there. It's a bit crazy. And um, so I was like, so what's your story? And she goes, oh, man, my story's a bit like a movie. And, um, 
And she said, you know, when I was 15, I got engaged to Daniel uh, because they got long engagements and they arranged marriages. And she goes, but that year my mother died. And then two years later, my father died and I had to live with an aunt. And a man came and offered my aunt 300 US dollars to buy me as a second wife. And, um, and she goes, and my aunt accepted it. And she goes, they forced me back to his home and they had set up a chain in his home and they handcuffed me to the chain. And then she goes, and then they took my clothes and broke both my feet. And this is at 17, this is how old she was, right? And we're just going, what? And then she just described what happened to her on the end of this chain, right? Everything you can imagine that would have happened, happened to her. It was just a living horror. But she's telling us, like, she's telling us what she had for breakfast. You know, she's like, and then my time of sufferings began. You know, they'd rape me and they'd torture me, they'd break glasses and cut me just to see me bleed, you know. She, she was telling us like this, and we're like, hey, what is going on? Like, there was just this, this disconnect between the story we're hearing and the person we're seeing. And, um, and she goes, yeah, after seven years, you know, the man came and he said, Sarah, you have to convert to Islam or else I'm going to kill you. And she goes, no, I'm not going to convert. And he goes, um, yeah, and so, so she goes, look, you know, kill me if you want to, but I'm not converting. The man and his wife had to go away for a night, and then the man's brother comes and goes, Sarah, he's going back tomorrow to chop up your body and throw you in a river. You have to convert to Islam. And, and she just goes, Jesus hasn't given up on me. I'm not giving up on him. And, uh, and so the guy goes, well, if you're not going to convert, then you'd better run. And he undid her chains, right? Set her free. Her feet hadn't healed properly, so she hobbled to one village, got to the next village over. In a, in a country of 200 million people, she bumped into Daniel, the guy she had been engaged to at the age of 15. And she goes, and he hadn't got married. In fact, he'd been looking for me for seven years, but I'd never been out of the house. And, um, and so she goes, and, and she goes, so we got married. She goes, because the first marriage wasn't a real marriage. Yeah. Like, you don't have to explain. <laughs> you know, and, um, um, but then the guy was still out to kill them both, and so they, they got on a plane and they flew into Thailand, right? And she goes, but for the, then they went into the UN process, got denied, right? The scars on her body weren't enough to prove the drama she had been through. And she goes, but six years, for the last six years, my life has been consumed by bitterness, grief, rage and pain, just the trauma of seven years in slavery. <coughs> and she goes, but this year, someone gave me one of your books in Urdu, Brighter Eyes, there's copies there. And she goes, I read it, and Jesus became real for me. Like, as I was reading it, like, like has, he would come to me and just flood me with his love, and his love washed away all my pain. She goes, I can't even feel any pain in the memory, the only thing I feel is love and joy. Like, and she's glowing and radiant. And all my team is like having a nervous breakdown. And um, I'm just going, God, I don't love you at all. And um, not, compared to, not compared to this woman, right? Because I haven't suffered anything like that. I mean, it's, it's, it was crazy. And I was like, um, she goes, in fact, because what the, what the book took her on was this journey. And it says, it basically says this. Save you reading it, I guess. Um, 
you know, if you choose to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that unlocks the promise of God to make it, make it possible. Right? So in Deuteronomy 30, the Lord, it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart to love Him with all your heart and soul so that you might live, and it's not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. And I know, because um, this is something that I, I, I can see, this is something with Greg, I can see it's something with... And, Sometimes when you speak about this realm, it feels too much of a leap to get there, right? From the life we're living now, how do we get? Are we good? Yep. How do we get to what Greg is talking about? This is love and intimacy and unity, right? For, for Sarah, it took about four to six months to go from the depths of trauma and pain into the glorious liberty of the bridal paradigm. But it, 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 what happened first was she made that covenant to love Jesus with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. That unlocked the promise, right? And as soon as that's unlocked, man, God goes to work, and he does it fast. It does not have to be a decades-long journey. And she goes, get this. This is crazy. She goes, I have so much love in my heart for Jesus now. My life is consumed with joy. She goes, and I can see how my time in slavery was a part of my journey to get me to this point. She goes, I would do another seven years for him. She goes, I would do another seven years to have this love in my life. And we're like, oh my goodness. And I was like, Sarah, what do you need? Because these guys have nothing. They have zero money, right? Because they're illegal. They've all gone underground. And, um, and, and she just looks at me like I hadn't been listening. She's like, what, what? And she goes, all I need is more love for Jesus. It's like, can you? And so that is just one short testimony to say that, one, this is attainable. It is, you're made for this. It's not hard. It's not complicated. You don't have to go for the, to the Amazon and, you know, do jungle dances around fires. It's, um, it's easy. You just say yes to this. And you, and you make an authentic yes. And if you're not ready to say yes, then you, are you ready to be made ready? Basically. Okay. That's just the introduction. <laughs> um, so, so, who's seen The Princess Bride? That'll be one of the favourites, right? This is a moment of, let me explain. There's too much. Let me sum up. Um, so this is going to be a summary sort of thing because I want to get through some stuff quite quickly, but I think it's quite important. So if, if you don't take it all in, that's all good. Just listen out for the spirit. Whatever he touches and anoints, just hold on to that and just let the rest go. That's all good. Um, Abraham. Right, so God, this is really where the nation of Israel began with Abraham, right? And so he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees into this land of Canaan. What was he looking for? A city. A city with what? A city that was architected and built by God, a city with foundations. Was it a natural city he was looking for? Can't have been, right? You know, you can't be, you, you can't go to Israel as a nomad and miss Jerusalem. You know, just, uh, uh, he was looking for a spiritual city, right? And when you think about it, what, like all of scripture is culminating to one thing. What's, that, what's the one thing that it's all building towards? Yell it loud. 
Yeah? In terms of the story of history and what you see in the Bible, what does it culminate in? What's the apex? Yeah, interesting, eh? Because I always thought that the, the book of Revelation was all about the return of Christ. It's the marriage. It's the marriage. It's the appearance of the new Jerusalem on earth. Right? And the new Jerusalem is the bride and wife of Christ. And it comes down out of heaven and it manifests on earth. The, the Babylon falls and the new Jerusalem emerges. And so what it is, that was the city that Abraham was looking for. It was architected and built by God, a city with foundations. And it's, it's not a natural city. It's a spiritual city, which means it's an architecture of relationship. This is what the city speaks of. It speaks of life and connection and relationship with one another, right? So he was wanting to find out what God's design for life was, and it's still the same thing. And all of history is coming to this point of the manifestation of God's design as expressed in, these two, in, in the city of the New Jerusalem. With me so far? Okay, and that's a city with foundations. So the whole idea of the foundation is that the foundation of the, of the New Jerusalem is the greatest command, right? Yes, it's Christ. Yes, it's that apostolic sort of prophetic thing. But primarily, it is this, this design of love, right? Because it's what you build upon. Imagine it. Imagine if all of this was built upon loving God with all your heart and soul and loving one another. I mean, man, that would be amazing. And it will be amazing. And so you've got this realm of, um, of, of covenant love beginning this, this journey into this design, and you were not really even sure what that might look like. But we know that it's going to be an expression of the love that it's founded upon, right? And so let's explore the design, because it's really, really important. I guess... Um, we don't want a vision that's been created by a person. We want to see what God's design is, right? We want to get a vision from Him. And so why did He make people? Relationship? Was He, was he void of relationship? Why not? Who, who did He have a relationship with? With the Son, right? Okay, so you've got, you've got the Father and the Son, because in John 17, Jesus goes, hey, before the beginning of the world, before the universe was even formed, the Father loved the Son. And so he's basically saying, there is this amazing love relationship between the Father and the Son, and then within the context of that relationship, creation comes into being. And it's, the Bible says it's made through Jesus and for Jesus. So the Father breathes through his spirit, speaks his word, and brings into creation this entire universe as a gift for his son. You know, I've got a, I've got a dog, um, which we, my, my, my youngest son and his sister were so close. They were like this. And so when she went to school, we were like, man, what's Tim going to do? We'll have to replace her with a dog. And, um, and so we bought a dog as a gift for our, our son, right? And, I mean, ironically, he didn't actually care about the dog at all. And so, um, and it didn't work out as planned. But, but I was like, it's crazy. I wonder if my dog realizes that she's a, she's a living gift. Like her whole being is like there as a gift of love. And it's like, that's exactly what we are, right? We think that we are somehow 
created for our own benefit. That somehow there's a, you know, we've, God's given us life so that we might enjoy all things. And yet the Father created us for his son Jesus, a living gift of love, which means that each one of us has a manifestation of the Father's heart that nobody else has. Do you get it? So, so like this is one of the things that Lord, I was like, God, I really want to know you. And he's like, yeah, but do you want to know me through this person? I want to know most of you, you know, it's like, um, because each one of us has got a revelation of the Father's heart that no one else can provide. And so it's like, suddenly you realize, oh man, eternity, it's going to take a long time to get to know God, right? Because you can't get to know the fullness of God without knowing the people in whom he dwells, because that's a part of his heart that isn't expressed in any other way, right? And so, it's, you know, you've got the Father making us through Jesus and for Jesus as a living expression of his love and his goodness towards his son. And, and you can see this coming into being in the final moments of John 17, right? Just before the cross, Jesus is going to die, right? And, and I often ask people, imagine, imagine just being on your deathbed. You've got like one minute Guaranteed death in one minute, and you go, you're surrounded by the people you love most. What are you going to pray for them in that minute? That's your last minute on earth, and everyone's going to have that minute, right? We're all going to get that minute. Some, some of us might know, some might not, right? But what are you going to pray in that moment? And I, and I, know, for me, I, I know for me, everything trivial would just dissolve away, right? You'd get to the heart, and you'd express your heart with no inhibitions. And that's John 17. That's Jesus going to the cross, knowing that this is the last time he's going to pray with his disciples, and he lays it all out on the table, and it culminates in John 17, 26. And he goes, Father, I've, I've revealed you to them. I've made your name known to them so that your love for me might live in them and I in them. Right? Did he get that? So what Jesus has just said is, Father, I have revealed who you truly are, your nature of perfect love to these guys so that they might participate in that nature, right, through the agreement. Because who doesn't get a revelation of the nature of God and be like, I want this? so that your love for me might live in them and I in them. And that was, that was really the journey that the Lord took us on, was um, as soon as we started to commit to this greatest command, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that activated this cascade of promises, but one was that revelation that we would share the Father's love for Jesus. And man, I, I just... Oh, I, I, I wish I could just give you a revelation of what's that, what that's like. The, 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 the highest experience of that love just utterly undid me forever. When the Father flowed his love through, for Jesus through me, it, it, um, it came with an intense, a transformational intensity that, that you know, the, the only thing I think, could think was, I'm alive. And I suddenly realized God designed life 
to be only found in his flow of love. It's like a river, right? We all know that, that rivers are alive in the sense that they carry life. Flowing water carries life, still water, not so much. And, um, and so you get this, you get this, this sense as the Father's love for Jesus flows through you, you get a sense of life, this is what it's about, this is what we're designed for, this is amazing, right? And so that was in a worship experience, which was just awesome. And, but here was the thing, the second half of John 17, 26, that your love for me might live in them and I in them. And that was, that was just, that was the, there's a, a revelation in that that is so hard to get your head around. It, it takes an incredible amount of discipline. It takes, I um, still feel like, like, not even a baby in this. Like, I feel like fetal in this, in the sense that um, um, there's so much to learn, right? Because cause if you really believe that Jesus is in people, then the Father's love for you will want to flow to the, His presence in that person. And that was what we realized the design is all about. You know, that's why when John 13, where he goes, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, what he's actually saying, he's not doing away with the greatest, most important command, to love God with all the heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. He's actually just interweaving it into one simple command. And in other words, it's love me through my people. Love me through my people. Love me through my people. And uh, most of you guys here are Western European in descent, and we are probably the most individualistic culture on earth. We think we've got to do it all alone. We've got to do it all by ourselves. We've got to be successful in our own merit and our own strength. Um, and that's the antithesis. That's like the, the critical weakness against loving one another is believing you can do it alone. Like, it's by design. You can't do it alone, right? If you're going to love one another, you need one another <laughs> it's, I mean this is not complex right it's um and so this is what we're this is what we're like oh my goodness but this is so much harder it's so much easier to worship Jesus and song because we can worship him without any of the issues getting in the way yeah. right we can just worship him or our concept of him um, but when it's in people man it's both um, at first it's just really hard work but then it becomes really amazingly glorious like you look at someone and you look them in the eyes and then you start to envision Jesus within them and you're like everything I'm saying to this person right now Jesus is going to experience if I can flow love to this person right now what's it worth Jesus is going to receive that love right that's why it's like, that's the debt in Scripture. He goes, oh, no, man, anything but love, right? Because if you can give the person in front of you this love, then it's like you've somehow participated in this flow of love, the eternal flow of love between the Father and the Son. That's why we exist, that God put us in the center of this flow. Father, through you, to Jesus and you. Which means all the relationships are hugely, hugely, hugely important. So, um, for those of you who read the books, uh, you'll understand that I, I try to be practical rather than just, um, I don't know, hyper-spiritual or just conceptual. 
So in terms of so some practical things with uh, getting your mind renewed to walk in this unity with Jesus is just simply thinking we. And let me explain this. I was just in Tauranga recently and I um, sat down with a young woman in Waiwema uh, and, and we're just yarning, you know, and she goes, oh man, I love Jesus, I'm following Jesus, but there's a part of me that wants to kill my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and do some damage to my friend who betrayed me. And, um, and it didn't take too much to work out what had happened there. And I was like, and, uh, and I was like, oh, you, you love Jesus though, right? And she was like, yeah, I love Jesus. And I'm like, he lives in you, right? And she's like, yeah, I have his spirit in me. I was like, oh, so just, you've got to account for that in your thinking, right? You can't just start your thoughts with I because that pretends like he's out there and you're, you're by yourself. If he's in you, you need to start those thoughts with we. So try it with your boyfriend. She goes, oh, okay. We, and she stops. And she's just, what she was doing was she just took a moment to connect with the heart of God. And it took her out of this natural mind. She goes, oh, it's like the color drained from her face and goes, we want to forgive him. She's totally not ready, right? And she was like, oh my goodness, we want to forgive him. And I was like, and what about the girl, the, the girlfriend? And she goes, oh, we want to buy her coffee. <laughs> and she goes, but I'm stone broke, so I'm off that one. And I was like, not so fast. <laughs> so I gave her some money. I was like, buy her coffee, bless her, forgive her. And, um, and it's like that, right? It's like... You know, you think about all the eyes, all the eye thoughts that get us into so much trouble. Like for me, it was being, I was first hit at my office, I had like six months worth of work. I'm sure it was six months worth of work. And I was just like, God, I can't do this. And Holy Spirit, kid you not, goes, what do you mean I? And he said, when we became one, you gave up your right to start any word with the word, any thought or prayer with the word I. So thought with the word I. He goes, you have to use we, try again. And I'm like, fine. And I was like, we can. Ah, and I was really, really wanted to say it like we can't. And I was suddenly like, if I say it, I'll be confessing a lie. And I couldn't say a lie. And so I was like, okay, so we can do this. And he's like, yep. I was like, so where are we starting? And he's like, start here. We shifted 90% of that work in three weeks. It was phenomenal. Um, and I realized that when I first looked at it, I had totally no idea how much work there was. But there was way less than six months. But still, um, it was energized, you know. But it forces you into the truth, that simple thought of we. So next time you catch yourself with I... Um, I, I met a military man, and he was brand new, brand new believer, man. He had a pretty troubled background. And, uh, and he said, you know, he, he got into a position, and he goes, you know, uh, military guys, they, they change their stance when they're going to get ready for some action. And so he got all balanced, right? And he thought, no, we've got to think way. And so he, put, he, he, he went onto his left foot. It was a really interesting trigger, but what he does is he throws him off balance, which means that he can't, he's not positioning himself to fight, he's positioning himself in another way. And he goes, 
okay, so God, what are we doing? This is a baby believer, like months old, just gave his life to Christ, um, I want to say February, March. Um, he's like, okay, so what do we want to do? And he's like, oh, Jesus, we want to keep our mouth shut. And that was, that was him. That was in that moment where everything else would have boiled over and he would have been in for a fight. It's like, oh no, Jesus is leading me to keep my mouth shut. For, you, know, you don't have to be a mature Christian to, walk, to, to start doing this whole realm of unity. Think we. And then with the people around you, start to think they. Not just the person, but Jesus in the person who is going to experience everything that you do to that person, everything you say to that person, will be received by Christ, for good or for bad. And that's why he's like, if you come to worship me and you've got an offense against someone, don't even bother giving your worship. right? Because, because the heart of the Father is that we would love Jesus through our relationships. Right? That's the heart of the Father. So how can we shut down a relationship? You know, say, say Greg ran over my cat twice, and I'm like, ah, right, that's it. Not going to talk to Greg anymore. He hates me. Ran over my cat. Um, and then you go and pretend to worship Jesus. When you've actually, pre- I've got the love of the Father in me. He's got the spirit of Jesus in him. And I've said, nah. Jesus, you're not getting any love from me in this relationship. But I'll I'll worship you over here, though. And Jesus is like, come on. Leave your gift at the altar. Like, how many churches have been in? And it's like, guys, just leave the music. Just stop. Reconcile all your relationships and let that be the worship. It's probably going to take at least half an hour. So... Um, no, but you know, seriously. And then once you got your relationships right, then come back together and do the singing, and 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 check out the difference it'll be when you know that you've got purity in your heart. Because otherwise, it's just a, a, a moving in a, in a degree of deception, right? Oh, I love Jesus. I really love Jesus. But how how can we really if we are shutting off the relationships? Oops, sorry. I'm gonna need a towel there. Um, um, yeah, so, so this is where the architecture of the New Jerusalem really, really matters. It's huge, right? Because if this is the overall... Um, thanks, Mason. If this is the, the overarching purpose of God, right, is that our relationships will become channels for the love of the Father to go through to Jesus then the architecture of the body of Christ has to reflect that. So, like, if you were one of the 12 disciples and you heard that, you know, you were there in John 13 and Jesus goes, um, you know, look, look, Chris, the only thing I'm ever going to ask for you is just that you love one another, right? What would be your vision for that? You know, do you think the 12 disciples were like, man, we needed to build an empire, or we need to, to, you know, get a huge following. You know, that would not be their first, their first thought would be like, oh man, we've got to love Peter. You know, it's like, it would be the people around them. That would be what you're thinking about. All we're, all we're called to do is love the people around us. That's it. 
That's it. That's the whole thing. You can be obedient with that. And so what we found in our own journey was that we couldn't be obedient to that command when we're only meeting people for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. Right? We realized, oh my goodness, if we're going to be really faithful to this command, we have to meet in a way that facilitates love. And so for us, that meant meeting in small groups. And not just meeting in small groups, but learning to love one another well in small groups. Um, and so we actually went really small. Like, like God, I keep on going. But, you know, we're like, okay, so we, we, we can't do the Sunday thing. Let's do home groups and stuff. And I think, um, you know, at one point we had 40 people in a home. And God's like, there's too many. You can't love 40 people. And so we're like, oh, man. Okay, so next one we went down. And, and what we started to do was actually build from the bottom up. And our most important groups, like my most important meeting of the, day, um, of the week, there's four of us. Right? And then the next meetings, we gather more. But those threes and fours, for us, are the critical ones. right? Because what happens in those threes and fours, you get to truly minister deeply to each person. If there's three of you and you've got 90 minutes, that's half an hour each. Of, of sharing, of prayer, of, of ministry, right? And what we find is that often in the teens and twelves, um, if people aren't in a three or four, they'll try and turn the 10 and 12 into a three or four. Does that make sense? And then they'll start unpacking their week with 10 people. And everyone else, you know, I, I've seen this before, all the guys are like, come on, and all the girls are like, oh, it's so sad. And, um, and, and then 10 people out of the 12 don't do anything <laughs> because they don't have those threes and fours operating. And it's like, guys, you just got to meet and do that counseling ministry heart to heart. The real deep stuff, um, that's got to happen in the threes and fours. So when you get into tens and twelves, there's a different dynamic, you know, and it's, um, uh, it's energizing. So you just get the function right at every stage and you make sure that your stage isn't being missed because people you know I guarantee it we've been in, in guys groups forever um, you know I remember one guy we'd been doing the group for like no, I don't know eight months and it was about eight, eight, eight ten of us something like that but when we got them down to two or three you know this guy like oh man you know the heart stuff comes out and the struggle comes out and but the same guy in a group of eight was going, oh, you know, things are, things are hard. Get them in two or three, and it's just like, boom. Tears come out that would never come out in eight or ten. Right, so there's a part of the soul that needs to get. The shepherd's crook. Um, there's a part of the soul that, that needs to come out. So, um, because ultimately, oh, man, five minutes, seriously. Okay, should have been bullet point, should have been quicker. Um, yeah, so, so see, the, we're going, our mission is to go out there and to reunite people with their father, right? The father in heaven. So it's like grabbing all these lost kids, all these orphanages, all these orphans on the street. And in our zeal to get people into heaven, we just gather them into orphanages, right? Because we want to get as many people as we can. And so that would make sense to us. Go into Africa, make big orphanages and bring all the orphans and look after them. And that's what we've done with the big church model. We've brought all these people in together, but they're all still orphans. And the needs of the many lay on the shoulders of a few. 
And what the Lord is doing with this New Jerusalem architecture is bringing people into families rather than orphanages. And it's in the families that are going to grow. Because I've got two daughters, right? They're not brides yet, but one day they're going to become a bride. And that's really our function is to bring people into that bride realm. Right? I would not trust my daughters to an orphanage to make them good brides. I would put them into a family. And that's what we need to be really thinking of because God is moving in a way to re, um, rearrange, realign his body with his design. And it's all about families, which is why the small group thing is so potently powerful. Because you get placed in a family, you can't be anonymous, you can't be unknown or unloved. You actually have to mature in a family. You know, and, and, and that's, that's really the goal of what we're doing. But I had a friend up north, and he goes, man, I, I was waiting on God, and I had this vision, and this train just went, like a bullet train. And I realized, God's on that train, and I'm not. And he's like, God's moving fast. And then he, had the, he goes, I had this other dream, and, and it's like Jesus came to me. He goes, I do not condemn you for where you are, but we need to move on quickly. Um, because what we're seeing down south is we are just seeing so many non-believers come to Christ. It's, it's incredible. We did these meetings in, in just a woolshed. It's like um, there was only three people that made it out without giving their lives to Jesus. Um, and two, one did three weeks later. I was like, Shane, what happened to you? Here's the military guy. He, like, he is broken, man. And then he comes back three weeks later alive with joy. And I'm like, what happened to you? And he goes, you need to do No, you did your job. And then this other, the Romanian one, like, she turns up, right? We're in this bullshit. And, and it was an invitation only, and someone had invited the Voices for Freedom person. They had invited all the Voices for Freedom people. They came thinking it was a Voices for Freedom event. <laughs> And, and uh, the two, two ardent atheists there were like, we've been stitched up. <laughs> and um, they're like, we'll stay for one session, then we're gone. And then after the first session, they're like, man, we're going to stay for a second. Did the second. It's like, man. Right? That, that night, he's just like 2 a.m. in the morning. He's like, okay, God, I give up. I'm on your side now. His, his wife was like, Mike, I think I want to become a Christian. He goes, I think I already did. <laughs> and no, seriously. And... You know, the, um, oh man, we just saw the, the Romanian woman never had any contact with God at all. No experience, nothing. You know, and um, she was like, I don't believe in any of this stuff. And I was like, wow, man. You know, just a few weeks ago, I prayed for this guy's knee, and I was, he had a bad knee, and I was like, can I pray for your knee? And he's like, I don't believe in any of that stuff. And I'm like, mate, you don't need to believe in it. You just sit there and do nothing. And he's like, all right then. So I prayed for his knee, and um, met him four days later, and he goes, I hate to admit it, but God, God healed my knee. And I shared that, and she goes, oh, knees are the worst. And um, she goes, I've got a torn ACL. Can't be surgically repaired. And um, God heals your knee. God heals the other knee. God heals this person, that person. Everyone's getting healed, right? Baby believers are praying for healing, seeing everybody get healed. Crazy. They had their first, we, we, we told them, you know, following Jesus is a bit like playing basketball. You can study the game, you can practice hoops, you can become great at slam dunking, but you don't begin to play basketball until you join a team and get on court. I'm like, you don't begin to follow Jesus until you join a small group and start loving one another because that's the baseline. And so it's like, who wants to do that? All these people put up their hands. And it's like, I guess we need some leaders. 
some leaders go up. They said the first meeting went to 1.30 in the morning. See, I'm getting hassled about you guys going home now. These guys were alive like 1.30 in the morning because they didn't want to leave the buzz of it all. And what's happening there now, they're operating in an ecclesia model, right? So work it out. Um, five more minutes. You guys should read that because it explains all this. But ecclesia is like extending the culture and value of the kingdom of God and governing the spiritual atmosphere. These guys, right from the very beginning, are healing one another, delivering one another, dominating the spiritual atmosphere, and are accelerating past, fast. And it's like, we are the ones that are going to be behind them, and so we need to pick up the pace and, and really commit to these small groups and to this design and to bringing unbelievers into this atmosphere because it is phenomenal what is happening, and we want everyone to be a part of it. So... I'll stop there, relax. Um, but can I just pray for people first? Because um, I'd really love to see some sort of touch for you guys. And um, yeah, just some, some lasting fruit. And as I say, all the books are free. And if you email us, we'll get you as many as you want. We've got thousands upon thousands of them. So um, yeah, let's pray. Yeah, Father, we love you, we bless you, we thank you for your design, we thank you that, Lord, we would never have guessed what we are praying for when we said, let your will be done. We would never have guessed that it's so good, that it's so loving, that you created us for a life of unparalleled joy as, as your love flows through us to Jesus. And I always just ask, Father, that every single person's heart here would catch a vision for what it means to share your love, Lord, that they'd, that they'd experience the incredible joy as your love flows through them, and that, Lord, all of us, we would just all come together and be able to start to look for your Son in your people, and that Jesus would be able to start loving you through one another, that you would purify our relationships, that, we'd, that you would show us your vision for what it means for us to love one another fervently from a pure heart, and that, like Sarah in Thailand, Lord, that that we would, you would give us the grace to covenant with you, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you would keep your promise to make that possible, that you would heal every trauma, that all the brokenness would go away, all the offense would just melt off people, and that their whole hearts would be filled with love, their whole souls would be alive with love. Lord, all their minds, all every thought in the mind would be just saturated in your love. And Lord, that even their body would carry that power of your anointing of love so that when people even just shake hands or hug or touch one another, Lord, there'll be an impartation of divine love, Lord, not human-generated, oriented, or um, defiled, Lord, but divine love moving through pure vessels. So we ask for that release of the power of the cross to bring purity to the heart and the infilling of the Holy Spirit to consume people here with love and joy. And we just pray for an incredible harvest, that these people would be the net that gather the harvest in, and that so many people, Lord, would just be um, reconciled to you and energized to live life as you originally designed, and that in accordance with your word, Lord, Jeremiah 33, where it just says that you want to make us, your city, a name of renown and joy, that you want to do so much of your, pour out so much of your extravagant goodness and prosperity that people tremble in awe when they see the love and joy in our lives. And so we invite you to keep that promise 
and to fill us with so much of your love, so much of your joy, so much of your life and glory that people tremble when they meet us for all the love and goodness you do to us. In your name and for your glory. Amen. Thanks, guys. Bless you, guys.